0: i'm matt booker i'm dave laird
1: i'm john mango and i'm still wondering what the hell water is and you're listening to the great concavity uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah good on john thank you very sweet
1: yeah. i I just taught that to my students today, so I figured I, I
0: needed oh, to yeah. include it. Uh, nice and fresh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's rad. So, John, welcome to episode twenty of the Great Concavity. Thank you. Uh, twenty episodes—that's Matt. We've uh, we've hung in there.
2: I know we're getting close to one year, Dave.
0: Yeah, that's true. I was thinking about that the other day. I think October twelfth or something was a, was our first episode last year. I think about twenty something episodes
2: like in a year. That's a, that's a pretty good pace for yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were shooting for 24, but no one's perfect, right?
0: Yeah, and then, like, life gets in the way of living and all that.
2: <laughs> but 20 is, is uh, you know, I'm proud of that. If we get yeah. to 40 in the next year, that's pretty good. Yeah.
0: I'm I am with, honored to be
1: that. on the 20th. I would not want to be on any other one than the 20th one. So.
0: What about, like, 25? Is that is that more of a model That's no,
1: good, but that? at that point, you know, then I can rent a car and, there's oh, just true. too much responsibility. I, I, right. I like it back here in the 20s. <laughs> twenty
2: twenty is perfect. Hey, yep. Dave, why don't you do like um a one second or 10 second um, inter, um, introduction of John and then yeah. let him introduce himself. Okay, right. Our...
0: Yep. So John Mango is someone that I met recently at the uh, third annual Wallace Conference in Illinois, which we just had a couple uh, recap episodes of. And uh, John, you and I met, I think, the first or second day of the conference, and yep. we We talked a little bit. Yep. And then we randomly bumped into each other at the Bloomington Normal Airport on the way out. Yes. And you were like, hey, Dave. And I was like, oh, hey, John. And then we were on the same flight. And so we swapped seats with somebody. Yeah. And we just sat and talked for, I don't know, like a good... How long was that flight to Minneapolis? Two or three hours or something? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We just talked Wallace and scholarship and life and stuff Uh, like that.
1: Video games. I'm pretty sure... (laughs) israel was in
0: there oh yeah yeah we talked there about was a lot uh, of stuff my, we covered the whole globe. There. yeah that's yeah. right we did we talked about uh music a lot too and, yes, that's and right. board yeah. games and yep. Netrunner and all that kind of stuff y- yeah, it was we great did. and then talked for like another hour in the airport and yep. it was like it was like one of like the most like authentic and like transformative conversations i've had in in as far as i can remember um it was just such a such a rad uh just fortuitous few hours we got to hang out for
2: yeah it's sort of that's sort of how Dave and I met as well that's right yeah
1: actually Dave mentioned that he was like man this <laughs> reminds me of meeting Matt mm-hmm. <laughs> so
2: yeah that yeah. was crazy and that the year before I guess it was in 2015 I got stranded in Chicago for like a whole day and <laughs> I went around and bought a bunch of books and went to some bookstores and just brought them back to uh o'hare airport and ran into dave and he was like what what is all these books you've got <laughs> like I, I had a mountain of books with me i think i bought i had like 28 books
1: how did you find 28 um, books in a in an air carry-on In my carry-on, my okay, carry-on. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> so
2: i went into town i took the l train i took the the l into chicago and went to some cool bookstores and I just had nothing else to do, so I went back to O'Hara to read them.
1: You were smart. I would have gotten scared and just bought all the John Grisham books <laughs> in the little kiosk there yeah. had to read that the whole
2: day. I've actually read, I think, every John Grisham book. So I'm not oh, really? I'm, I'm caught up there. So. Oh, nice. Oh, great. Um, so tell us, what I'm compelled you. you to go to the conference in the first place? Give us like your background.
1: Oh, man. Um. Well... I think it was a couple things. One, I really love David Foster Wallace, as did everybody at the, uh, the <laughs> conference. Um, but no, he, he, he's he's a singularly important writer to me. Um, I You know, Dave, I, when Dave and I first talked, we kind of joked that it's weird that everyone almost has their own sort of David Foster Wallace origin story. Um, <laughs> but it, it just so happens that mine sort of is essential to my understanding of Wallace and why I like him so much and why I think he's such an important writer that needs to be taught and talked about and shared. Um, So if you guys don't mind to give a a little background into that. Um,
2: Absolutely. Please please do.
1: um, So I – let's see. Before I liked Wallace, I was really into Joseph Heller and I was into – uh, Cormac McCarthy. And I was into, uh, Thomas Pynchon. I liked mm-hmm. really weird stuff and I liked really dark stuff. <laughs> and, um, th- that served me well because it, in my sophomore year of college, I found out that I had pretty se- severe depression. Um, and eventually I had to go home, um, and take some time off after, again, a, a pretty dangerous and, and shocking, uh, just shocking to my own system and to my family uh, suicide attempt. And right around that time um, was actually when wall It was around, yeah, 2008. It was when Wallace had killed himself, um, which, you know, is awful. But it was one of these weird things where I didn't get into him by reading his stuff first. It was by reading about him. And there was, mm. there was this way in which reading about a person that had that had suffered from depression and committed suicide was weirdly comforting because it let me know in this perverse manner that I wasn't the only one dealing with this stuff. And Mm -hmm. so while it was really dark, uh, it was also this, this weird sort of feeling that like there wasn't something evil or, or completely different about me. Other others were struggling as well. And I think that's a theme that's pretty common to, to most people who read Wallace. Um, But one of the one of the ways that sort of folds in on itself is that um, the more I read him, the more he was directly talking about depression, the experience of depression, and and not just one depression, but he was able to sort of give this uh, the whole. Visible light spectrum of different forms of depression. You know, in in Infinite Jest, you have uh, the the students who all have anhedonia because uh, they're unable to experience any kind of pleasure. And I knew that. I'd experienced that my whole life, and I'd never really been able to give it uh, th- that kind of voice. And then you have the uh, I forget his name, the character who who uh, is wh- who wants the operation to get his like, limbic system cut out, I think, because he's just in excruciating emotional pain all the time, mm-hmm. and he's really into the model trains, and I knew that too. And then there's the, the, the one with Kate Gombert, who's sitting there, and she's explaining to uh, the doctor what depression really feels like, and I remember um, every time I read one of those things, it was just like Wallace bored his way deeper and deeper into my soul, uh, because there was somebody who was actually able to sort of open up these cavernous scary places in me and walk around in them and even though he you know committed suicide at least when I read him he seemed to come out unscathed um, and that would that was sort of to me that ended up being the really important function of just fiction in general and Wallace epitomized that more than any other writer I'd read and um, uh, there's a Marxist theorist Terry Eagleton um, and he he talks about how uh, after after we moved into a, a secular age uh, literature kind of took the place of um, the place of religion uh, for for a lot of the functions religious hmm. has uh, religion has a lot of the good functions as well so hmm. like ha- uh, as Wallace would say, having a place to worship, but also develops developing um, uh, emotional ties to other people that are understood in a really meaningful way. Um, and so I really like Wallace's sort of driving, driving uh, ethos that literature is about, he's got one Quote where he's he's quoting a uh, professor of his uh, and he says it, literature um, disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed mm-hmm. um, and I think that's absolutely true it's absolutely true when I read him um, and I think that's really true of most good literature and in, in general and again these are pretty wide statements but um, <laughs> the but the thing that that I can't help but reiterate as being hugely important is that. I, can, I think I can firmly say while feeling a little bit pretentious but knowing it's not pretentious is that Wallace actually did help me uh, just just live like just be able to say all right there's stuff worth here uh, worth sticking around for it's all right to be in pain um, and I find that even though that might be sound a little harm hallmarkish um, <laughs> that that it's actually hugely. Helpful and and maybe one of the things I like the most about Wallace is that whenever I go back to him, I feel a little bit refreshed because um, even those i those ide- even though those ideas are somewhat simplistic intellectually, they're actually really hard to to practice and they we need sort of constant reminders of or at least I do need a constant reminder of them all the time. So uh, that's a little bit of my background with Wallace. I'm also a member of AA and uh, go religiously. Um, and <laughs> there's a lot of that in Infinite Jest. And again, he captures exactly why that experience is important to me, um, really, really well. And we can talk about that more as as it sort of goes on. But yeah, that, mm-hmm. I would say that's 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 Wallace. Why Wallace? I think Wallace is 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 hugely important as a writer.
2: Hmm. Wow, that's that's really great John and you know we've talked about this a bit in the past <clears throat> on some other episodes but it's for me it's a really interesting dynamic of people who discovered Wallace sort of because of his death yeah. or mm-hmm. through his death yeah. and that you know that's the not the way that I came to the book or his writing and so you know I what I question about that is he went through this experience of AA and depression and ch- and chose to write about it in a really veiled fictional way yeah. and and pretty much denied it in public. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And and so his death came as a real shock because yeah. those of us who had followed his career up to that point really he seemed very well adjusted and smart and like had sort of observed this as an outsider but You know, I I literally had no idea he was depressed himself and had been, you know, as religiously involved in AA as he had been. And so it really changes the way you read Infinite Jest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wonder if that is the best approach, if he could have helped more people by... Being a little bit more honest about it, hmm. and you know, coming public with his suicide attempts and like doing so, and I know, like, not everyone is built to be an activist. Like, right. maybe that's his—that's <laughs> right. that's his way right. of being out there, is writing these stories and writing these, you know, trying to connect with people on that level.
1: So I think that's a a really fascinating and and important point that that you're there's a there's a couple things in there, but I think they're all. Uh, worth talking about um i think wallace so uh, this also gets back to one of my my frustrations is that i don't know him as a person and yet i absolutely feel like i know him as a person and can talk and can talk about his life authoritatively i know that's not right but i feel that way and it's it's a bizarre thing that i think his fiction's able to do and so um Matt, you're 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 totally like I just watched the Charlie Rose interview um, with Wallace, where he he just flat out denies. He's he's like I did a little bit of drugs and my nervous system couldn't handle it. But if you <laughs> if you read um, the D.T. Max biography, he did a lot more than a little bit of drugs. Um, sure, <laughs> he he did a lot of them. And so one of the reasons that I feel comfortable talking about AA, but it's also kind of dicey to talk about AA, is that. A a lot of AA has to do with humility, and um, I have to be keenly aware that me talking about this to you guys does not turn into me thinking I'm a poster child for AA, or even positioning myself as such,
2: well, and I was gonna, I was gonna say there will, there will probably be people who will hear will hear this and will think that it's taboo for you to even say that you are in AA. Right?
1: I, 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 absolutely, and I, I, think that's 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 uh, missing the point of a big part of a big part of AA. So one of the things they talk about is, is don't promote it. I'm not mm-hmm. here to promote it. I'm here to simply relate my experience about it as it's something that is, I think, very, uh, valuable, um, to, uh, talking about Wallace and understanding him. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not here as an evangelical for it because that's really not the purpose. I, I one of the ideas that's important to A is that it really only works if you want it. So just going in because someone else said you should is not, a, <laughs> is not gonna necessarily work. Um, mm. But uh, again, I I I think um, I think that this idea of who was Wallace secretly is is really important because um, one of the one of the things that he's absolutely dealing with is this idea of hiding stuff all the time. Like that's one of Hal's mm. main things that he enjoys is hiding his own drug addiction and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but Wallace himself is 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 a very Personal seems to have a hard time um, being able to parse out when he does want some of the spotlight and when he when he doesn't. Uh, I remember there was a certain interview in which he cops to admitting that he dreamed about receiving the Pulitzer Prize or the Nobel Prize and having all these shining spotlights on him, and then almost quickly retract, retracting it and saying that <laughs> oh, that's that's terrible of me. Why why would I? Why would I uh, ever want to do that? I think one of Wallace's problems was that he was constantly trying to deal with himself. And I think one of the things that he was constantly coming up against was this was the fact that um, he he recognized how important humility was. I mean, I think that's a big part of Infinite Jess. Um, and it, there are lots of moments in his interviews that sort of give, give way sort of show that he really struggled with that kind of thing. So in, mm-hmm. um, in uh, of course you end up becoming yourself. There's that section of the book in which Wallace is talking about how much he treasures his regular guyness, And <laughs> it's one of those really fascinating parts of Wallace where he's saying something. And by saying that he's actually betraying that he might not really mean what he's saying. Uh, which which happens a lot for him.
2: It does, yeah.
1: I don't know if that gets at your question at all, but
2: no, I, I think it's a it's a really interesting point with <clears throat> with AA in general, and that in the you mentioned in the DT Max book, there's a point where he. Goes into rehab at Grenada House. Yes. And um, by the way, I I think it's unavoidable to talk about his biography for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, just like it is with, you know, Hemingway Hemingway. or or Virginia Woolf or Hunter S. Thompson or someone who's, yeah, yeah, I mean, well, especially with the suicide thing, you know, it's like that's going to be almost inseparable, but. You know, the, the DT Max book mentions a thing, um, you know, I'm very familiar with that book. And um, there's a point where he mentions when he first went into Grenada House, he reads this pamphlet. It's really an essay by Lewis Hyde. And we've talked about Lewis Hyde on past episodes who wrote The Gift. And Lewis Hyde wrote an, uh, an essay called Alcohol and Poetry. A- and it's... Uh, mostly about the poet uh, John Berryman.
1: Oh, yeah, but, yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: But it's a, it's about a lot of other writers and sort of the idea of American fiction being tied up with drinking. And mm-hmm. um, in there, he, he makes an interesting connection with Berryman. And I'll, I'll talk a little more about this because it's been on my mind, but he really brings it back to um, irony. And maybe you can talk about this. You kind of hinted at it and A.A., you know, there is this idea, I think, that appealed to Wallace that sincerity rules everything. Mm. And that if you go in there and you're stuck in this ironic mode, that's that's just not going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. An ironist in Boston AA is a witch in church. Yeah, right, yes, exactly. Yes. Like, <laughs> One of the you, best lines.
2: You cannot be ironic at all. And it's really just, it sort of loses any sort of usefulness or function once you're in recovery.
1: Well, so... um. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. Um, a couple things to that. Um, AA will has a lot of the has the exact same tenets everywhere, but the sort of culture around it might change a little bit from county to county, even. Hmm. Um, so, a, a lot of what I experience is like there's a lot of joking joking around that goes on, and even ironic joking until you get to the part where you have to share, <laughs> um, and then it's it's interesting because it's it's what what people are attracted to is is honesty is is an attempt to thoroughly reconcile with the fact that you're in pain over something and so if you're being ironic about it you're you're very clearly layering on this sort of a very thick wool coat as if to say you guys can't come in here and you can kind of feel it in the room like this person's deliberately separating themselves from everybody else and they're not fooling anyone except themselves and so irony ends up becoming something that's just not helpful to to remaining uh remaining a a few steps away from a drink I I think is what ends up happening Hmm. so um, it's it's, I would say it's not necessarily about being honest in that you have to totally know exactly what you're talking about but it's about being honest in your attempt to try to get at something real does that make sense? Hmm.
2: yeah no that's a really fascinating point and I you know what makes me curious about that is if it has made you want to in your AA trajectory, like want to mention Wallace or talk about Wallace with your sponsor, or like bring up you know, Actually, or, 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 or share the book. Or so anything.
1: it's funny you say that because when huh. I, when I first got in, everyone referred to everyone refers to the, the, 12 steps as the 12 step book as the big book. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were talking about either God, <laughs> either the Bible or infinite chest. <laughs> <Just. Infinite Just. laughs> so I'd bring it up and there've been plenty of people who have been like, Oh yeah, I read that or not. I tried to get through that and they mm-hmm. just kind of brushed it aside. Um, but I, I, I haven't really brought a lot of Wallace to it because the most valuable stuff I would say is just personal experience, and um, right. and and attempting to uh, get that across. I think where where the 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 um, overlap between AA and Infinite just really happens is when I talk to people outside of meetings, and hmm. they're looking for something that is really influenced by AA thought. Um so it'll either be William James um the Boom, Verity,
2: Exactly Yeah, yes.
1: Verities of Religious Experience, which the twelve which the twelve steps book uh actually Mention. cites right. or, or or it or it'll be Infinite Chess, which also cites the Verities of Religious Experience. Um it, is, which is a fantastic Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Legends coke stashes inside of it, which is a wonderful little uh Mm -hmm. warning of what what infinite just could be uh,
0: yeah
2: well and in fact i think on episode 13 or so we had rob short on and we talked a lot about aa and the big book and i asked rob what philosopher had the most influence on wallace and he said william james yeah 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 Yeah. and and the more quotes that he gave me the more convinced i was that he was correct Yeah. yeah
1: absolutely um there's William James, well, it's interesting, Matt, because I think this also kind of, William James is another personality that sort of reflects a lot of the way Wallace conducted himself, where in the Verities of Religious Experience, James is talking about the sick mindset, which is essentially somebody with depression. Um, And he talks about a letter that a man sent to him, in which the man described himself as being a kind of cadaver. Who could not move, and for fear that the movement would make him feel worse, and wanted to move because he was in so much pain simply by sitting there. It turns mm. out that the letter that that man that uh, that was written to him, James, was actually wrote that, and uh, it was his own experience he was talking about. But oh. there was something mm. about it that he just didn't want to share. Uh, he didn't want to admit that that was that was part of what was his own suffering. Hmm. Um, and so I think you do have, I I think you have a sort of history of people dealing with really intense uh, depressive stuff who try to dive into it, but are also kind of afraid of ad- admitting the kind of uh, see weakness they might see there. Uh, hmm. Again, I don't think depression <laughs> is weakness whatsoever, but when your yeah, mind course. is in that place, it's really hard to, to sort of see yourself as anything but the lowest thing you can imagine. Um so we would have to think that some of that would apply to Wallace as well.
2: Well and back to the big book, you know, the first couple chapters are Bill W.'s stories. Yes, yes, absolutely. And he and he is basically an incurable drunk. Yeah. Anything that he tries, it just does not stick, and right. he fails. And eventually, he meets this guy who comes, who was also a drunk, and he yep. comes to his yep. house, and he's like, I, I totally solved it. And he's like, yep. how the hell did you do that? <laughs> yep. And he's just in belief. total awe of the guy. No, and the guy says, uh, I had a religious conversion. Yes, yeah, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I tried everything else except for religion at this point. And, you know, that was sort of an eye-opening thing to me that because – you know, what we outsiders know of AA is that it is somewhat agnostic. Yeah. That I, I would it still allows say you to it have like, And it still allows you to have this idea of like, you know, however you see the uh, <laughs> yeah, creator I, or a higher power. Right, mm-hmm.
1: right. I, I think one of the, so this gets into a lot of uh, Wallace stuff. And I think it's one of the reasons that I like AA a lot is that it's God as you know him. So really and it, like I know people who use God as an acronym, and they say a it, considerate it group of drunks, um, and it, it, it's it's sort of the power <laughs> of the group itself of being a part of something larger that keeps them sober. Sober, but I think ultimately A is this extraordinarily pragmatic um, and compassionately pragmatic um, way of looking at simply having a really hard problem that puts you in the middle of two things that's nearly impossible to escape. Um, and so it, there is a kind of religiousness to it in that there are some key tenets that you don't want to violate, like don't drink, don't use, <laughs> come to meetings, get talk to your sponsor, work the steps. But mm-hmm. then all of the details are sort of filled in by our own experiences. And um, so the idea of some kind of religious conversion is different for every single person and comes, di- comes around in a different way for every single person. I also think it's one of the reasons that the, the scene that's closest to a religious conversion for Don Gately is that scene where he saves uh, Randy Lenz Because we don't get like this detailed interior monologue, we simply see the action of what's going on um, and are left to interpret what's going on inside of Gately to ourselves, which is very reminiscent of the way AA works, that they call it a program of action. Um, Hmm. So I I think that that kind of ethos uh, shows up in in Infinite Jest a lot.
0: You're confirming my thesis right now, John. Thank you. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what I came here for. It was really a to confirm Dave's thesis.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> well,
2: and and what else interests me about that, John, is that it's it's sort of a last resort, right? And oh, absolutely, it, yes. And Bill W.'s story in the big book, you know, he doesn't want to deal with religion until. Right. He literally has tried everything else. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the John Berryman story too, in that pamphlet. Or if you just read a biography of John Berryman, Uh. you'll see that he tries everything. He goes to rehab multiple times yeah. and around, I think in 1970, 1971, he reports that he does have a kind of religious conversion that he can't explain. And, I mean, it's just very rare for a guy who totally denied it for years yeah. and, you know, fought against it actively and just said, like, I'm an atheist, I have nothing to do with this and, you know, would lie about anything just to get another drink. Yes. And then, but then later on admits, like, I actually did have kind of like a religious experience right. in this. I mean, yeah. I,
1: so, I think that's really important, Matt, and I, th- I, I can give you my experience with that. They call it the gift of desperation, which really means you're suffering so much that you don't know, you have no other options. Like like maybe, if, maybe logistically, if someone stepped back, you could be like, oh, you could go and talk to this person A, B, and C. But you, consci- in your own consciousness, just are, have run out of options. And you somehow have gotten lucky enough to uh, come across this thing which you've reviled or just been totally as Don Gately is like, you just don't care about it. There there's, there doesn't seem to be anything to do with it. You haven't spent much time thinking about it. Um, It's kind of like bare knuckle uh, sort of religiousness where (laughs) the, I'll I'll put it this way. The steps are written in a really fascinating way where the first step is to admit that you're power, that you are an alcoholic. Um, Right. And that uh, you are powerless over alcohol or any other mind-altering substance. The hmm. second is to admit that there is a power greater than yourself. Now, if you've admitted the first, you've already admitted the second because <laughs> you've admitted that alcohol is more powerful than you. And the hmm. third is to admit that there's a power that can restore you to sanity. That's where the I think one of the biggest leaps of faith comes in because hmm. that's where you have to say, all right. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm uh, pa- pa- uh, alcohol is more powerful than me, but what if something could help me? And so it's this really sort of subtle way of, of sort of going in and asking people to be willing to build, uh, to, to learn how to trust again, to, to right. learn to, how to have some kind of faith again, and there's a yeah. lot there's a lot of other stuff that goes on, right? You're you're surrounded by a group of people that really want to help you. You're uh, give you're given time to have intensive moments with people that that also want to help you, um, but but I do I do think that sort of very subtle uh, hinting at something bigger than yourself is is the kind of logic that Wallace follows uh Hmm. through infinite jest to sort of bring us to our own uh sort of spiritual awakening
0: right that uh that syllogism that you just gave john reminds me of are you guys familiar with saint anselm's ontological argument what is it i I don't i don't think he's he's like a medieval uh theologian who who came up with this argument for the existence of god that's like he says that god is that than which nothing greater can be conceived oh yeah sure yeah And then the argument's basically like, if we define God as, like, the greatest conceivable being, then the greatest conceivable being must actually exist in reality, because if he didn't, then he wouldn't be the greatest conceivable being. (laughs) And then so, like, through this weird kind of, like, series of, of weird logical steps, it, like... It becomes this like classical argument for the existence of God, and huh. I'm still like very like skeptical of it, and I don't really know what to make <laughs> make of it. Well, um, that's
1: that's fascinating, Dave, because I think you're <laughs> right. The same logic is at work there. I would say the difference yeah. is that um, with with AA you have this sort of gnawing desperation to get better, whereas with with the God one, I, I there's probably some pretty rabid. Uh, monks or whatnot that, that really need that to be logically true, but there may not be as pressing, uh, uh, and immediately. Pressing. We'll get
0: Edmund, we'll get Edmund back on the show. Next
2: You know what? There, that is uh, a total phrase from infinite jest to that gift of desperation. Yes. Yes, it is. And, um, I, you know, I'm looking at the book now and there's this passage if it's all right with you guys, I think I'm just going to read it for a second oh, please where, do. where he talks about it and he's talking about Gately. And he says, of course he hates them, the crocodiles for making him feel like he fears them. But oddly, he also ends up looking forward to a little sitting in the same, a little <clears throat> sitting in the same big nursing home cafeteria with them and facing the same direction that they face every Sunday. And a little later, he finds he even enjoys riding at 30 kilometers per hour tops and their perfectly maintained 25 year old sedans when he starts going along on the white flag commitments to other Boston AA groups and he eventually heeds a terse suggestion and starts going out and telling his grisly personal story publicly from the podium with other members of the white flag the group that he gave in and finally officially joined this is what you do. What you do if you're new and have what's called the gift of desperation and are willing to go to any excruciating lengths to stay straight, you officially join a group and then put your name and sobriety date down on the group's secretary's official roster and you make it your business to start to get to know the other members of the group on a personal basis and you carry their numbers talismanically in your wallet. (laughs) And most importantly, you get active with your group, which in Gately's Boston AA, active means not just sweeping the floor after the Lord's Prayer and making coffee and emptying ashtrays of Gasper butts and ghastly spit-wet cigar-ins, but also showing up regularly at specified PM times at the White Flag Group's regular haunt, which is the E-lit, the final E. It's supposed to be the Elite, but the E ran out. E-lit Dinah. <laughs> Anyways, I'll end it there, but that that gift of desperation, it comes up several times in the book and uh it definitely made an impression on me because you think desperation is not a gift, a gift right? It's, right. <laughs> it's counterintuitive. Well, and
1: there's some there's a lot of complexity in that because I remember the first time I read this book, I was s- still out drinking a lot, uh, you know, having a hard time. Mm. Um and so i i kind of like glossed over this stuff it was interesting to me but it didn't resonate with me anywhere and then when i whenever i read it again there's this glowing joy to it like the whole time (laughs) this is happening yes there yes gately is struggling yes but but i but i can feel the kind of wonder that comes along with it with how the how the how the fuck is this actually working it's working (laughs) and there's something i think that i think that's why i love the um the scene with the the Irish guy who, who takes a solid dump for the first time. Um, because it's really... A turd with a pulse. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, it's really lovely, but it's also lovely because it's so incredibly joyful. This guy is describing this sort of transcendent moment, and he's describing it through shit. And it, mm-hmm. it's such a cool... Um, for me, it's such a, a, a cool juxtaposition of, of uh, literally taking human garbage, human feces, and uh, sort of transmogrifying that into something that represents something really beautiful, which is somebody
0: Mm
1: -hmm. actually recovering. Um, Yeah. There's, so the book, I think, after having gone through this stuff for me, it's incredibly sad, it is also funny, but it's also joyful in parts, and I didn't get that the first time through.
0: Hmm.
2: Well and I think I think you're right. I just want to say I think you're right that it is a triumphant thing for him that he is writing this after breaking through a real yes. mental barrier in his right. life right. and that he he came very close to dying. Oh yeah. In ni- 1989, 1990 right. and he he survived. And I think his way of sort of thanking the universe was by telling this story. Yeah. And I, like I said, I just didn't realize at the time that it was basically autobiographical. Right,
1: right, right. 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 There's that uh, that part in the DT Max book where uh, DT Max gets in contact with um, the guy that Don Gately is physically based on. And the um, guy's yep. r- really frustrated. And he says, the guy was Big just. Big Craig. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Big Craig. Big Craig. He was just he was mining us for material.
2: Which, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he asked him, he was police. like, Hey, what was your impression of him? And he says, My impression of him was that he was a writer who was just there mining us for material. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was looking for material. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. That's right.
1: Again, we have the, the very weird complexity of Wallace trying to work out what's okay and what's not okay when it mm-hmm. comes to a public performance.
2: Yeah. But totally. the woman who is based on um, Pat Monte- Montesian who was the real director of the Grenada You're house. Right. You can go and listen to some interviews with her. And she kind of says the complete opposite. You know, no she says that. Oh, I'm going to have to yeah, listen to no, that. No, sh- you should listen to it. It's on Boston Public Radio, and we'll, we'll link to it in this episode. Yeah, but right, she says, right. you know, Wallace really cared about uh, these people and really was humble. I and, believe you know she what? did, yeah, yeah and he he very easily could have just said, "Oh, I'm this published author and I'm right. I'm I know better than you guys." But he n- literally never did that and right. was very good at at taking direction. And I mean, maybe you can speak to that a little bit about like what kind of humility it takes oh, to like, shit. come in. Oh shit. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> um I would love to tell that story because it it's one that reminds me that I need to humble myself maybe right at, <laughs> right now actually. Um <laughs> So I remember I had I had a really I was lucky that I had a really bad bottom. I was just like it was, you know, big suicidal mess, um really frightening scenario and I was not admitting to myself that I had uh trouble drinking and for me that meant that whenever I picked up I didn't know whether it would be one drink or it would be twelve drinks. Um I just had no control in the, in that respect. And I remember I was just so down on myself. And I was really lucky to have a very good friend who uh, was in the program. And so my mom, mom, I love you. Thank you for making me do this. Um, she's probably going to listen to this, but thank you for, again, for making me do this. She She made me promise that I'd talk to him. Um, because like she's like I don't want I don't want to be put through this stuff again um, so I did and we went to the our first meeting it was in the basement of a church and uh, I get there and I was just so cynical and angry and self-pitying and just like I hadn't really, Like, my beard had grown out, and I was looking all scraggly, and I had, like, an old sweatshirt on with a bunch of stains, and my hair was greasy and poking out everywhere, wearing (laughs) ripped jeans, and I, I sit down in this circle of, like, in this dingy basement with all these people, and in my head, I'm just like, oh, look at these gross disgusting and <laughs> as i'm saying that in my head i'm like shut up john you're no better than them you're a piece of dirt like doing this this weird mind game with myself where these people are terrible and i'm terrible and everything's terrible it's uh, just not fun at all and then so the the meeting starts and i'm sitting there thinking to myself how did i how did my life get to this point this is the worst place i could be in And the woman goes, "All right, tonight we're going to talk about gratitude." And I just go, "Oh
2: fuck!
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do I have to be grateful for? Are you, are you fucking kidding? It's okay. Is it okay if I swear?" uh, Oh yeah, yeah, that's fine.
1: All right, it's it is part of the story. Uh, And uh, there's this guy next to me. He's like in his late forties. He's got a plaid plaid buttoned down, tucked into his jeans. He looks kind of like Tim Allen in Home Improvement. <laughs> um, except, except a little more hard bit. Be- and, 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 and his eyes are clearer. Um, and he goes, you know, uh, when you said the word gratitude... Thought to myself, God damn it! I don't want to talk about gratitude tonight. And I was like, I don't want this guy. But he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the guy suddenly just like his posture changes. He, his voice his voice gets a little more serious, and he sits up in his chair in a little, and he goes, but you know what that is? That's the disease. That's the thing that wants to keep me down here, keep me feeling terrible all the time. Because if I listen to that thing, and I follow everything it's going to say, it's going to put me back out on the street. I have a lot to be grateful for. And as he was saying this, it just sort of was starting to bubble off, and to radiate gratitude. And it was the first time in I don't know ten years that I I started feeling grateful, and I didn't have anything. I didn't think I had anything in that moment to feel grateful for. It was just this fee, like free floating gratitude, and it was sort of like this shock where I was like, "Holy shit! I have been so selfish and so unaware of so much." Again, I have been so unaware of the water I've been swimming in this entire time, um, that. I just got like this kind of weird buzz. And uh, it was, it was, I, again, I'm very lucky. A lot of people don't get an experience like that. I did. Um, and I, I'm deeply grateful for it happening. So I, I kept coming back. I was still terrified. Sometimes still am tilted, still terrified <laughs> to go. Some A lot of the times I don't want to, but mm-hmm. I just kept coming back. And I found more and more. More than the graduate classes I was taking, I was really learning and practicing how to be an okay, a decent human being, um, hmm. in a very, in a very rudimentary and thus really important kind of sense. I also found that like the stuff that I that I had wanted to believe in when I was reading Wallace and thinking about compassion and wanting to help other people, I was actually starting to do that stuff, and I was really happy that I was able to do that. I was really grateful for the opportunities to do that, because I just wouldn't, I didn't have the 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 sort of capacity or the awareness to do it before, Um, and it really it it brought my it brought the way I understood Wallace just it sort of really changed it. It, it, Wallace, for me, became less about attempting to soothe my own pain and understanding that what he had laid out in most of his work was a way to uh, more deeply empathize with with other people. And because of that, uh, help myself in the process of, uh, well... I'm sort of losing my train of thought here, but well, um, well,
2: I mean that gratitude piece that you're talking about, I, I think is really interesting to look at what we were talking about earlier about the Genesis of infinite jest in general. Sure. Because I, you know, in retrospect now I see that infinite, I believe infinite jest is like the greatest love letter to AA ever. Yeah. Written. Oh, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, and, mostly stems from Wallace's gratitude towards it as a program really saving his life. Yeah. And yeah, that nothing yeah. nothing else he had tried before really worked. Yeah. And so his his gratitude towards that I, it sort of translates into this Constant level of humility. I be-
1: that's fascinating, Matt, because I think this book, when I read it, it's so emotionally generous, and that would make sense as to where that sort of emotional generosity kind of comes from.
2: Hmm. Well, I and I like I say, I think a lot of it comes from him really trying to get out of that shell of narcissism mm-hmm. and get out of that shell of looking towards you know, your default setting of yourself yes, is like, Oh, yes, this is, yep. this is who I really am. Right. And it's like, actually you are when you, especially when you're at an AA meeting, you're no better than yeah, the yeah. person sitting next to you. Yeah, and, yeah. absolutely. you know, I, I've never been to an AA meeting, but I've, um, I've met many people who have been through the program and, you know, I've, I've learned that as a central tenet, right. That, everyone is sort of on the same level. Yeah. And yeah, Wall- yeah. Wallace reflects that you mentioned, you know, in the, in your opening thing of, of this is water is that he's making, that's one of the points that he makes that, you know, if you are sure, you know what reality is sure. and what's really important that is, then you don't want to consider that some of this stuff is pointless or annoying. Right. You know that you think you know everything. You're going to be annoyed by everything.
1: Yeah, I, I. So I think I think you're hitting on some really. I keep saying this, but you bring up some good points. That I think what one of the reasons again Wallace fascinates me as as both a writer and a thinker is that he seems to be advocating for a kind of very fluid uh, relationship with the world, um, one that is constantly wanting to take in new information uh, without a kind of immediate judgment on it um, I think that's sort of what we get in the atheist story uh, and I think a lot of that relies upon the, the, um, the, the viewer, the reader the listener uh, being able to maintain that, that uh, emotional status of, of being humble um, which is a really hard thing to do Again, I, one of the things about Wallace I love so much is that these ideas are talked about a lot just in culture in general, but they're really, really hard to do, uh, mm. to use some more of This Is Water talk, day in and day out.
0: Right. Um,
2: well, and the, the other thing that really strikes me about that, what you're saying, is that it's a really old idea. Yes, and absolutely. W- we're, and that we're talking about ancient religions ancient here. We're talk about Yeah, <laughs> right. we're talking about William James... And that you're talking about this is not something that is really revolutionary, that it's right. something we're just blind to because yeah. we're living in this sort of modern condition where we choose not to see it. Right. And even this idea that depression and alcoholism is a choice, right, and that ha- happiness is a choice, this is an old, old treatment of depression theory that goes way back to our first ideas of depression. Mm. And, and I think what Wallace struggled with, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, is that when you describe it to someone else, it sounds like a cliche.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> um, one of the, one of the, uh, so especially that a couple things. things, um, that idea of alcoholism and depression being a choice. It's fascinating because the, the current conversation around both of them, although I think it's changing, uh, renders it so that uh, it's sort of this like, how do I put this? It's sort of like people are failures for choosing to become depressed or, or alcoholics, when actually what's going on is this really complicated set of behaviors that are developed over time, where at the core there's a choice to be made, but it takes a whole lot of work both intellectual and emotional work to navigate oneself into the position where you can finally recognize what that choice is, hmm. and that it's extremely important to do to uh, treat those who who haven't yet made that choice to do so with the utmost compassion available. And th- again, I, I, this this all sounds nice. It's way harder when somebody's you know t- saying, "Oh, this is the world sucks," you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I I think that's again this ties into the idea that uh, cliches are and wallace again talks about this a lot cliches are fundamentally important things that we have to do a lot of work to understand um that new i or ideas aren't good simply because they're kind of new or uh or feel exciting um they're good when we've put in the work to understand what, they really, what, what they're really trying to tell us. So um, if, I, if I'm describing to somebody um, my depression, what I'm really w- looking for ultimately is, is not, not that person to really admit or really claim that they totally understand depression, but mm-hmm. simply to sit there and be able to say, okay, I believe you're having this experience and it sounds really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a very different way of uh, reaction, uh, yeah it, you know,
2: <laughs> you know uh, w- one thing I want to ask you while we have you on the line is um if there is a, f- if you have a favorite part of infinite jest or a favorite quote I or anything do. like that I, I absolutely do <laughs> yes,
0: uh, just locked and loaded yeah um <laughs> so
1: this would be it's on page let's see two oh three um and it's that it's the list of things that you learn in rehab.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: This it's loaded with stuff that I like, but um uh
2: I have that bookmarked. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: So if there's one line in here that I think I love more than most <laughs> writing, uh, that there is such a thing as raw unalloyed agendalist kindness. Mm. Um, that sentence, Hmm. there's a lot of stuff I really love in here, but, um, I think when I read that it was the verve with which it sort of comes across and just this confident assertion that kindness isn't necessarily this all, you know, this sort of, uh, Neo-Darwinist <laughs> idea that everything is 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 selfish right. in the end and all, because I remember growing up and getting into so many arguments and really hating that idea to the point where it drilled itself in my, into my head during depression, mm. during when I was depressed uh, and. I'd I'd have internal battles with with the idea that I was like no there has to be some kind of <laughs> some kind of, of
2: altruism like, in up. the universe <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah it, it was, and for to read something that um, was 175 pages into this massive book that would be even longer that just flat out stated it didn't care at all about being subtle in that particular manner was (laughs) the whole show. Don't
0: tell thing. Oh,
1: absolutely. But I loved that he had the willingness to just tell in that moment. It seems Mm -hmm. like a perfectly right thing to do because maybe there are some things that we should just tell that we should Hmm. just say. And I think that's one of them. Um, Hmm. To me, it's sort of a radical celebration of of the really good parts of us, the light parts of us, the parts that, as he says in his interview um, with uh, McCaffrey, uh, we should give CPR to,
2: right? Mm. Mm. Going back to that statement on page 203, I'm looking at my old copy, now 20 years old of Infinite Jest. On the page before, on 202, I had underlined three sentences three times okay no yeah it's the sentences that say that you do not have to like a person in order to learn from him her yes it. yes and that mm. that yes. loneliness is not a function of solitude yes and oh absolutely. Per, um Donald Trump that evil <laughs> evil people never really believe they are evil but rather that everyone else is evil.
1: right oh my god that's such <laughs> that's so fat right?
0: I think there's another one
1: in here that's like the most uh, uh, the mo- the scariest people are the most are, are the most scared something along those lines um
2: oh that's yeah, good
1: that fits with Trump as well yeah. I think
2: Sure does. I want to ask Dave if if he has any other favorite quotes, but one that I've been thinking about a lot too, which, um, when you're talking about AA, it leads me back to a thing. Um, it's on a couple of different points in the book. Page 952 is one where it's the kind of a fake cliche motto of the tennis academy that says life is like tennis and that those who serve best usually win. (laughs) <laughs> and that and that I just love like that he put crap like in there sort of ironic but sort of serious
0: yeah 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 Yeah,
1: absolutely well I, I think one of the things go ahead go ahead Matt.
2: I was just gonna say if Dave wanted to chime in there with any now that we're just like riffing on <laughs> Infinite just <Jeff's> favorite <laughs> <laughs> quotes
0: um wow really putting me on the spot here I don't have anything prepared um but I I think that if I sort of dug through my thesis, there's probably a few lines, probably relating to Mario that I would that, <laughs> that I would pause it yeah. as, as. Well, you some don't have earth. to have anything
2: locked and loaded, but you can just <laughs> nod your head and be like, "Yeah, boy." Yes. <laughs> I'll
0: will see if I can dig up a few for next episode. How about? Yeah. All right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> let Let me go back to asking you. Then, um, how long have you been? In AA, when did you first read Wallace? Could you lay out that timeline? Oh yeah, sure.
0: There?
1: Um, so let's see. I think I first, yeah, two thousand eight was when I first read Wallace. I've been in AA. Oh yeah, you mention that. I've been in AA for about a year and a half now. Um, so.
2: So way after, right? Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, way after, because there were still. I think I was a kind. Of, I was a kind of. Person that, like, it took certain tough circumstances to really bring out uh, bad drinking behavior in me. Um, not, you know, I kind of struggled with it that, that whole time, but I was also trying to do as best I could, uh, still having no idea what I was doing. Um, it really took AA to be able to let me stop drinking. Um, it was just really hard for me to to do that on my own hmm. um, so I think when, again that's that's why uh, I kind of talk about Wallace uh, pre-getting uh, getting sober and, and then reading him sober is that th- there's still a lot there for people who or for me when I was suffering a lot um, the book is vast and uh, nuanced enough so as not to preclude any readers who don't directly deal with the struggles of getting sober um yeah i don't know does i i hope that answers uh, your yeah yeah question. and
2: you know what else you um i don't know if at the beginning did you did you mention where you're located
1: oh uh so like right now i'm located in burlington vermont i teach uh some writing courses at uvm uh, but I am from, and most of the things that I talked about in terms of, uh, you know, depression and whatnot took place back in Hebron, Connecticut, my, uh, which is where I grew up.
2: Hmm. And um, so we probably have some lis- listeners in Vermont, and um, I'm going to encourage them to get in touch with you through some back channels through <laughs> us if necessary.
0: That sounds great. And, I would uh, love that. Yeah, sweet.
2: What, what what part of Connecticut did you mention? What was that? He, Hebron?
1: Hebron, it's right outside Hartford, so like central central
2: Connecticut. Okay. So oh Bermuda whale caractere. whaler country. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Back when Absolutely. the whalers existed. The whale. Yeah. The yeah. whale. That's yeah. a great logo. I I spent a great um, Christmas in in Connecticut. <laughs> did I had you? some roommates when I yeah, when I lived in New York. Okay, um, we're,
1: whereabouts in Connecticut.
2: Uh right on right on the coast. Uh, God, what was the town? This has been. Now I'm going back 15 years. Um, Norwalk. Some oh, Norwalk. Yeah, Norwalk okay. Yeah,
0: so if I could do a, a quick... also the name of a virus. Uh, uh, is it? Was it a Norwalk virus? Yeah, no, I, Norwalk. I contracted it a few years ago. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> oh like God. a really bad flu, and it it just rings you right out. It's terrible. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> so way you New York City after that, guys. <laughs> Um so in your like personal trajectory here John you so you've you know been reading Wallace for almost a decade now yeah, and now yeah. you're a grad student right yeah. uh, Well I technically uh, done somewhere. with the grad work part oh, of Oh you're it, fu- but... you're fully finished right yeah. So that that brought you to the conference you presented at yeah. the conference yeah. um what's some of the academic stuff that you've done with Wallace's work and it's cool to hear that like your personal trajectory has led you into like this academic discipline studying Wallace in a formal way
1: yeah yeah um so so what I did was doing for the conference was I was really trying to iron out that how do I write about a person who um I think I know and I feel like I have a relationship with Hmm. uh and yet in all reality I don't um and it had to do with uh let's see the joke uh In in Infinite Jest, um, and the Infinite Jest as entertainment, and then um, the suffering channel, because I was looking at Uh the way Wallace represents uh, the artist's processes of creation, um, and I was trying to get, I was trying to just see, like, look through his eyes. All right, what what does Wallace see the the function of art being? and there's uh, there's something, I think, really neat when you compare the joke to uh, Infinite Jest. The joke is uh, himself's most uh, <laughs> effective... <I> a <pray> guard. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? It, it, and also, like, his, it lines up with his intentions in which he just hates the audience, and yeah. so he's literally playing a joke on them, and it just repels them whatsoever. Uh-huh. And then Infinite Jest is... It's a lot of things, but one of the things is it kind of, it's kind of a desire for him to help Hal find a voice and for him to find a voice himself. But instead he's too um, he seems to be too uh, mollifying of the audience in which he has a mother figure um, apologizing for mm-hmm. um, uh, birthing you into such pain which is a really easy way to anesthetize a viewer into sort of feeling okay now but not challenging you to do anything. And if you look at a kind of middle ground, you can see Wallace saying that there's 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 needs to be a provocation, but there also needs to be an understanding of the kind of pain on the reader's part. But um so that, that was what that paper was trying to get at. I don't know if it was fully successful. I think what I really <laughs> want to do... I, I, I think what I really am trying to do now is um, bring about a certain kind of uh, vocabulary of emotional literacy uh, that's driven by Wallace because I, I think something that's... that is really important to teaching, uh, to teaching writing, and to just, again literature in general is that it it for me it it helped me understand my own inner world and thus the inner worlds of other people uh and because of that i think helped me become more compassionate and uh helped me be willing to wade into the pain of another person rather than just be like oh get away from me you you, that 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 hurts (laughs) um and so it'll be using philosophers like Hegel, um, which we, we don't have to get into here if, <laughs> if we don't have time because that gets really Eurodite really quick. uh oh, yeah.
0: um, you know that, uh, you know that George Saunders, how he talks about uh, the first time he met Wallace and they were yes, like, having breakfast yes. and he was like really scared that they were going to start talking e- yes. like deconstructionism yeah, or, or Derrida a, <laughs> was going to come <laughs> yeah, up and yeah. Saunders was terrified of that and then they just talked about like normal life stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, Wallace asked stuff, him about like
1: the schools for his kids. and
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which is great. I, I mean, I love that connection because Saunders <laughs> to me is the biggest torchbearer. I mean, he does his own stuff in his own right, but he's the biggest torchbearer of uh, of. What wallace was doing as well yeah. which was this very compassionate approach to the pain of other people yeah. um and sort of invoking us to to try to reconcile or try to deal with that um, um. but so all right I'll, I'll i'll very briefly give you the 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 hegel idea i think one of the things <laughs> i also like about wallace is he dives into the problem of solipsism very Mm -hmm. deeply, um, which to me is a terrifying thing, especially experiencing depression. Hegel in his subject-object relations, which is to say me being a subject or a consciousness that experiences itself, um, is always going to relate to you guys as objects or things that are not immediately uh, uh, made aware uh, and urgent to me. Hmm. Um, And The interesting thing Hegel does is he says that the object is always a part of the subject, um, which essentially dissolves that barrier that keeps solipsism alive. Um, And he does this through a few different logical moves. Um, One of the biggest one essentially being that two two subjects uh, sort of constitute each other. It's only through me recognizing myself through your eyes or voice that I'm able to then uh, really feel as if I'm a full subject, Um, which is a a really fancy way of saying that because we're talking, I'm able to recognize myself as being a person, which means that I have to then recognize you as being a person. And I think that's a hugely important uh, fundamental shift away from the sort of enlightened uh, uh, individualism that, that, tends to be the basic model of how we view humans as sort of like people that interact with each other simply because it's for our mutual benefits. Instead, he's saying, no, on a a phenomenological level, we're totally enmeshed with each other. Hmm. Um, And from there, I think with that standpoint, suddenly feeling somebody else's pain um, and really attempting to understand it and sit with it uh, because they're presenting it to you, it's no longer it becomes almost a mandate to do that as it's a part of who, as it's a part of our basic makeup to do Hmm. so rather than saying, oh, that person makes me uncomfortable because they're sad. I don't want to have any part of their sadness. That becomes the bizarre behavior. And Hmm. I think to me, that's a hugely important shift in the, the, the way we approach um, what an individual is, what a community is, how it is we really interact. And I think Wallace shows this in a shitload of Work. Um, it's, it is all over. Uh, brief brief interviews with hideous men. He's got the stories. Uh, the the porousness of certain borders, mm-hmm. which are exactly about that 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 enmeshment. Um, so that's what I'm going to be working on. I'm currently working on, and will be working on more in the future. Um, oh, yeah,
0: that sounds brilliant, uh, man. We
2: could we we could talk about that for another hour. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would I would love to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That sounds great. Well we look forward to all future publications. Uh thank you very John much. John Mango. Thank you. Thank
1: you very much.
2: <laughs> oh hey, 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 John, before we um before we wrap up, do you um do you have any um places online you want to direct people to if they want to read yeah, any of your stuff or yeah, get in touch with you? Or?
1: Sh- sure. Um I uh so I have a blog that I update about once a month. Uh this last the, I think the most recent um uh, entry about it does deal directly with um, Hal and Infinite Jest and talking about um, the talking about the David Foster Wallace uh, convention. Um, it's uh, WordPress. It's one of those WordPress websites, <laughs> but the name is uh, the name of it is Hazards of the Course, which is um, f- is a line from a um, John Ashbery poem. So if nice. if people wanna look that up, um, or they can just contact me on Facebook. My name's John Mango. Um, <laughs> I'm also on Twitter at, at uh, call me John Mango. Um, <laughs> I, apparently, I really like my own name.
0: Uh, Who doesn't like to, your name? Per, na- best, perhaps John I Mango. need to
1: work on that humility a little bit more. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, I love I love getting to say your name. <laughs> that, that, that last name just has a sweet, sweet ring to it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you, Tate. Tell us the name of your blog one more time, the name of your blog.
0: Um,
1: it is Hazards of the Course at WordPress, so it's probably WordPress.com back, backslash Hazards of the Course.
0: Sweet. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I'm glad you told us about this, John. I don't think I knew about your blog, so I will be checking yeah. that out ASAP
1: cool there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff about depression and Mm -hmm. dealing with that
0: kind of stuff so awesome It's great well john we want to ask you do you have any sort of final a final thought for the for the evening uh
1: i'm still wondering what the hell water is (laughs) also this was fantastic thank you so much for having me on guys It, it really uh it's a pleasure talking to both of you um and it really means a lot. It'll mean a lot to my mom, too. Mom, love you. Uh, hi, mom. <laughs> Dad, too. <laughs> uh, that's
0: awesome, John. We, we just want to thank you so, so much for coming on and for being willing to talk about this really personal, really hard, messy stuff. And uh, I remember you saying to me in the airport when, we were, when I asked you if you'd want to come on and talk about this stuff, if you'd be willing. You were like, yeah, because, I mean, it's important that this conversation is out in the world. And that people don't have to feel like they're going through this stuff alone.
1: Yeah, I I, I really do think that one of the best ways for me, at least, to combat um, uh, sort of just I I don't want to use ignorance, but just like the the general mysticism and fear that surrounds uh, I don't know depression, suicide, mm-hmm. alcoholism, all that stuff is to really talk about it. And because it there's actually not that much to be to be afraid of, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways that. Uh, people can get help it's really hard don't get me wrong like the, if if you love somebody who's going through this stuff it's absolutely really hard but mm-hmm. i think we make it a little easier on each other when we feel that it, it's it's an easier thing to talk about
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah destigmatization yes G- getting uh, big, yeah, big totally. fan yeah that's great man Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Well,
2: hey, hey, John, it was really great having you on, and we really appreciate yeah, you um, sharing with us tonight. Yeah. And uh, I hope you get credit towards like this counts for something <laughs> because it certainly <laughs> counts for us. Yeah, your 10 package uh, or whatever,
0: maybe. I, yeah, right. No, put I, it on the CV. It was, it, was a pleasure. it was a pleasure to be here. That, and
2: and like every, every good conversation we have on the show, I feel like – it could go for another hour easily. Like it went oh, by yeah. so quickly Absolutely, just because yeah. like, I really enjoyed your stories and uh, what you. you had to say.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I, that, that means a lot to me.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, no, it was
2: fantastic.
0: Great, yeah, dude. Great. And we haven't even like talked about music or, right yeah or, or board games oh, or let's, video let's games do like, or anything let's yet. do like two
2: minutes on netrunner you guys both <laughs> uh, netrunner? yeah yeah yeah
0: okay yes this is my dream come true okay, okay so john and i started talking about board games in our conversation yes. at the airport yep. and of course you know any time any window any marginal window i have to drop <laughs> netrunner like i take it and rachel my wife is profoundly embarrassed by this but i do it anyways <laughs> <laughs> um, so, John, you were like, yeah, that sounds cool. I described the game to you. And so you went out and bought it, you and your I friend. I did. And, and- I went
1: with my friend Mark <laughs> Hengslinger. Uh, hi, Mark. Yeah. And. Uh, and I, I was like, Mark, we, we I, I think you'd really like this Dave guy, but we absolutely need to go <laughs> go buy this game. And so uh, we went so you, out. like and... pitched
0: me to the guy before you pitched the <laughs> yeah, game to him? Did. I like that. I, like I it, did. <laughs>
1: yeah. It seems to be a running trend with me, is you know, the person before the product. And then uh, so we, Mark and I, sit down, and uh, Dave s- sent me the, you know, like the online. Uh, like tutorial through, video Yeah, or tutorial. Yeah. And I read the book a little bit, the, the handbook a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, I didn't realize how, uh, like, Byzantine parts of it could get. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> Mark and I sat down outside on a windy day and spent two hours parsing our way through the first game. And it was amazing. It was so neat. <laughs> I had never played a game like that, an asynchronous? Yeah, asymmetrical. Yeah, yeah, asymmetrical kind of game like that before where, like, I was this corporate entity and felt like this huge power, hugely powerful and, uh, <laughs> he was the scrappy hacker. And so, uh, we got to play it a few more times and it just sort of, one of the things that really opened up to me about it was that there's, there's a lot of like poker face kind of stuff oh, yeah. involved in And Big that time. is some of the f- most fascinating stuff is that totally. somehow, somehow in the midst of this, uh, game that, that, that has rules that are as strict as magic there are these mm-hmm. moments for uh, uh, for trying to like f- fake out the other player and mark took advantage of me a whole bunch of times because uh, <laughs> i was like i think you left this open because you're you, you know one of those things so i'd attack yeah. and and get a get uh tracked or something like yeah, that but totally. i it's 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 really good i Actually, I hung out with Mark today, and we didn't play it. I don't know why oh, yeah. we should have oh, yeah.
0: played well, it. Again. Can
2: you say the name again? It's Android Netrunner. That's right, that?
0: Android Netrunner. Uh, I'm actually gearing up to go to to Roseville, Minnesota. Yeah, I meant to November, ask you about that. Yeah. Uh, for Netrunner World, the World <laughs> Championships, <laughs> I will gonna... I will get my ass handed to me. I'm sure of it. Because can you people... live
1: tweet it or something?
0: Yeah, I could I could do some live tweets. I think that would be appropriate. I'll do them from the concavity account and just like flood everyone's, uh, flood everyone's. Currently, (laughs) twelve year old old is hacking my ass off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, John. I'm glad you picked it up and have been enjoying it. Oh, Um, it's such a good game. Can't recommend it enough to people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It will take over your brain though if you let it. If you really get into it, <laughs> I'll so just start there, thinking. There's of a those. caveat there. <laughs> yeah. Caveat emptor.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Dave is second only to Dave Foster Wallace. His level of commitment to Netrunner, I would say, is second only to David Foster Wallace. Yeah, those are
0: like <laughs> those are like my two main jams. Yeah. Uh, if you follow my Instagram or my Twitter, it's like those are the two things. So, yeah. I could I could happily do a podcast about Netrunner, but there's already a ton that are fantastic. No kidding. Um, I have some friends in Vancouver uh, who do one called Terminal Seven. It's just like Oh yeah, oh, it's You it's mentioned bananas. That. Yeah, yeah I it's really good. That. My right. friend Jesse does that. So yeah. Jesse and Nels. Yeah. So if they're listening to a David Foster Wallace podcast ever, <laughs> you know, hey guys, way to go, keep up the good work. <laughs> 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 yeah. Cool. <laughs> Well, awesome. Thanks again, John. We really appreciate it, man. And uh, keep us posted with all of your future yeah, wallace doings. I, I, I will be sure to. I'll, I'll, I'll send you
1: uh, emails from time to time. And
0: right on. That's this was, great.
1: This was great. Th- thank <laughs> you. Th- thank you for uh, letting me talk to you guys. I had, oh, had really our pleasure, nice man.
0: Time. Our yeah. pleasure. If, uh, our pleasure. If people want to email us, uh, other than John, Matt, where can they get a hold of us?
2: We're concavityshow at, at gmail.com. We are at Concavity Show on Twitter and Instagram. And we are Concavity Show if you search on Facebook. That's right. Oh, also,
0: okay, I'll, I'll, I'll mention two things. Lastly, I did think of a quote that I love in Infinite Jest. In, in the throw midst of it, talking. Uh, throw it. In, in Mario's tennis video with Hell, Tennis and the Feral Prodigy, the line that, that opponents and nets can be mirrors uh. is a line that I really love. Yeah, that's Um, really good. Like thinking about self-reflection and especially in the context of like competition, athletic, you know, sport and all that kind of stuff. The idea that you can not only learn from your opponent, but learn from your own reflection in the net is uh, something worth thinking about, I think. Um, Which goes a lot to the themes of what we've been talking about for the last hour and 20 minutes. Um, And then also, I actually I wrote a paper on the politics of gender and ethnic representation in the world of Netrunner no for kidding. For, um, for my critical theory class last year. Huh. And I wrote it for my professor and she had no background in board games or anything, but I gave her this like list of like this PowerPoint with pictures of all the things I was talking about as well. And uh, I put that on academia.edu, which I have a thing on. Oh, and awesome. I, po- I posted it on a Facebook group called Women of Netrunner and uh, like a week ago, and I've been getting lots of people checking it out and and uh, giving me feedback on that. So if you want to he- cool. read an academic paper I wrote on Netrunner, uh, you can I look do. me up that on academia.edu. It's called Hacking the Future, okay. um, the Politics of Representation in Netrunner. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Yeah. That was fun. That was maybe the most fun I've ever had doing an academic paper. (laughs) Were
1: you like playing some games of it as you wrote it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I totally had all my cards on the table and everything. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you know, Netrunner exists online. There's a site that you can play with other people. Yeah, it's called jintecky.net, just like the corp. And you can build decks in there. And then you and I could play online together as well if you wanted to do that ever. I'd be super down for that.